Amen. Well, good morning, gentlemen. I'm excited uh, to get to be here this morning, bright and early with you guys. Uh, I love this crew because if you're awake at this time, and like not just awake, because a lot of us are awake at this time, but if you're here at this time, uh, it's because you really want to be here. You know, some of the men that come in the later hours, let's be real, they're just here because like they had to drop off their kids or something like that. Uh, you really want to be here. So I'm, I'm honored to be here uh, with, with you uh, great men. So uh, we're in uh, this study, the handiwork uh, study, and the verse would be Basing this off is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this picture of the tool that you see uh, on here. And I think about uh, that all of us in this room would say, you know what? We understand that, that God can use us. I think all of us would understand that's what we're going to look at today, what God might be able to do uh, if we place ourselves in his hands in this case. Not just that we are created by him and we are his handiwork in that way, but that he could use us if we place our lives in his hands, the work that the master builder, the master carpenter, the master creator could do with you and I uh, to change the world. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. I want to start by just asking, have you ever known somebody that just had really good uh, perspective? That in your life, if you ever needed wisdom, you ever needed insight, it was somebody that you knew you could go to because they were going to just see things a little bit different than, than anybody else. You think of somebody in your, in your life that you say, there's somebody I know that's like that. Maybe they have a, the ability to kind of zoom out and look at everything from a wider perspective. And maybe if you're in a situation and you're kind of looking at it in a narrow perspective that you can go to this person and say, I need you to just give me a little more context than what I'm seeing right now. Because what I'm seeing in front of me is not what I'm, what I'm wanting to see or not what I feel like I need to see or I feel like I'm kind of missing something. You know, Mark Terry is one of those on our campus, has a very uncanny ability to do that here. Patrick actually is one of those in my life uh, that has the ability to do that, that I can come and, and talk to, and, and he'll kind of give me a different perspective a lot of times in my life. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've got, I've got three kids. My oldest is 12, then I got an eight-year-old daughter, and then a six-year-old boy. Um, and what I found is I love sports. I love uh, teaching my kids sports. I loved playing sports growing up. Still like to play uh, when I can. Um, but what's funny to me is how many times I got to uh, play basketball all the way through high school, and was uh, I felt like a decent basketball player. But I played, got to play baseball all the way through college and pitched in college. What's interesting to me is how many times in my life my children have argued with me over mechanics in sports. Right, I'll talk to my son, and I'll say, my, you know, even my oldest, and then even my youngest, who's in his first season right now of t-ball. Like he's playing t-ball right now for the first time. He is like two practices in, and I can tell him to do something. I'd say, hey, you need to put your bat right here. And he's like, no, daddy, I can't do that. It doesn't feel right. And I'm like, I don't care what it feels like. I just need you to put it there. Right, and, and they argue with me, or my son who pitches, uh, he, he's starting to get the hang of it, and I used to tell him all these things, to tell him where to go and how to break his hands. I'd tell him not to, you know, when he breaks his leg up, not to crunch, because when it crunches, his alignment's thrown off and everything starts to go crazy. Some of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's okay. But I'll tell him some of these things, and he'll argue with me. He'll be like, but I can't, you know, I can't do it, or I don't like the way it feels and stuff. And I'm like, trust me, I know what you don't, Right? I have a different perspective through experience. Now, here's the reality. My perspective is still extremely limited. There's a whole lot of people who know a whole lot more about sports than I do. There's a whole lot of people that, as long as I pitch, there's a whole lot of people on this planet that know a whole lot more about pitching than I do. But here's what I do know. 
I know a whole lot more about pitching than they do. I know a whole lot more about hitting. I know a whole lot more about how to shoot a basketball that, you know, my 12-year-old son, I'm trying to get him to bring the basketball from here to up here, get it a little bit higher so he doesn't get blocked by these, you know, four-foot kids, right? I understand some of these things that they don't because I have a different perspective. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the man God uses must be a kingdom man. You must be a kingdom man. Have a different perspective, you must be kingdom-oriented. The phrase that, that the writer of the book, uh, Henry Blackaby, a man God uses, says in this, he says that he describes it this way, a person who functions according to God's ways is more than a resident of this world. He has become a kingdom citizen functioning according to kingdom ways. And the key idea here is that God's ways are not man's ways. God's ways are not Man's ways. Now, we know this passage, a very common passage that many of you know. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God's, God talking. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When you think about the story in Joshua chapter 6, God's people going in to the city of Jericho, and they got to take this city. This is the gateway to the promised land for them, right? Moses has died. Now Joshua has stepped up, which is a crazy thing to have to happen. You read the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and here's what it says about Moses. It says, Moses, whom I knew face to face, yeah, he's dead, Joshua, now it's your turn. So Joshua has to take over in this crazy time. The person that knew God unlike anybody else had never had ever known God before. Joshua gets to follow and he says, you're going to lead the people into the promised land. And then they've got to go and they see these fortified walls of the city that are massive and high. And God gives them this amazing strategic battle plan, right? Hey, I just want you to walk around the city one time today. That's it. I just want you to walk around the city. And then, uh, I know you walked over the city yesterday, but today I just need you to walk around the city just one time. And then he does that for six straight days, right? And then the last day, he's like, I want you to walk around it seven times. And then here's what you're going to do. You're going to blow some trumpets, and then you're going to shout, and the walls are going to come crashing down. And all God's people had to have been like, this is the most absurd battle plan I've ever heard in my life, Right? But here's the reality. When, he, when you look at this story, he wasn't looking for a battle plan. He didn't need warriors. Did you know that God didn't even need that wall to come down to destroy the city? Why would he have told the people to do that? Because he doesn't need warriors. He wanted to find if his people were going to be obedient. He wanted to find out if his people understood that his ways are different than the world's ways. He needed people who would listen to him and trust him enough, no matter what it looked like, no matter what it sounded like, no matter what it seemed like from a worldly perspective. He wanted to make sure that his people knew that his ways were not the same as the world's ways. And that's still true today. Now, what is the world? As you look through the Bible, when it talks about the world's ways versus kingdom ways, God's kingdom ways, what is the world? There's four different words used over and over again about the world, but I want to tell you, it's not the planet. It's not just a period, time, or age. It's a system of belief. Now, I, I normally tell, would tell this story, and I've told it uh, a long time ago before, but I'm going to say it a little differently because we're men, okay? Imagine, imagine that you're, you're living life in a swimming pool, right? And you walk up uh, to the 
And there's a sign, and it says this. It says, do not dive in the shallow end, right? That's a common sign that you'd, you'd look at. Do not run, do not swim unless a lifeguard is on duty. And then there's a little place, especially if you've got like a home pool, you might have this sign. It says, do not pee in our pool, right? What if somebody scratched off the do not? And all of a sudden it just says, do not run, do not dive in the shallow end, do not swim when the lifeguard is not on duty, pee in our pool. And you get in there and you're like, wait a second, this water feels really warm. I know, I know, we're men right now, all right? This water's feeling really warm. You might be like, I don't think it's the pool. It must be the people. They might, might be misunderstanding. And you think, I know what that sign's supposed to say. I, surely they know better, right? And all of a sudden, you're experiencing this situation. You're like, this feels, this is not right. This is gross. It's wrong. But everybody is doing it. And at some point, you start to go, maybe, maybe that's what I should do. Because they might start looking at you like you're crazy. Because the system, the, the reality is, it's not a real system. It's a twisted system. But just because you're living in it and everybody else is living in that twisted system, you can start to get drug in and be like, well, this is just kind of how it is, I guess. And so I'm just going to live. If I live my entire life, you at first, you know, all of us would say, you know, I'm going to jump out of that pool. But if you're just sitting in it and you're around that for so long, eventually you might say, you know what, might as well just jump in the pool and do what everybody else is doing. Even if it's a twisted system, even if it's gross, even if it's disgusting, even if in your mind you think this is not how it's supposed to be, it's really easy to live based on a system of beliefs that's twisted from its original intention, right? This is the picture of what's happened in the world. So when you look at the world, when you and I hear that phrase and we think about what it would be like to be a part of the world versus a part of the kingdom of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, there's certain ways the world is going to look at things and God's ways are going to be different. The kingdom ways are going to be different. It's not going to look the same. And I want to put just a little bit of context to, to ask you to think about some times in your life that you had some people, maybe at work, maybe just some friends, maybe your neighborhood, maybe even growing up, where you talk to people that you know they're not Christian people. And you're asking for their advice and you, you're doing the exact same thing and you're thinking the same way they are. I think it's a dangerous place when we pursue the advice and the wisdom of people that don't know Jesus and we have a lot of alignment. Now, I'm not saying that nobody that doesn't know Jesus can ever be right. But there are plenty of times that I think in our lives we can look at a situation and our decision making would not differ from other people who have no kingdom perspective at all. And this is the picture. So the writer of the book gives uh, some things that the world say and some, uh, some things that the kingdom says, and you get to write these down uh, here. But here's, here's one of them. What the world says is that the world would say that success is king. What the kingdom would say is obedience is success. Obedience is success. The world does not think that obedience is success. They just think success at all cost is what matters, Right? But the kingdom mindset would be obedience is success. Joshua 6, just like we talked about, it wasn't their success who was after. God was after their trust and obedience. What the world would say was competition. It's all about competition. You got to be better than the person next to you. What the kingdom would say is it's all about service. It's about serving other people, caring about other people. When I was uh, in college, my wife and I first got married. Uh, we still had a year of college left when we got married, and I worked at Sears. 
I sold electronics and appliances. Um, and I've got to tell this story a couple times, but uh, I sold electronics and appliances. It was amazing. I uh, loved it. It was a, actually a really good job. But what I found out was there was a whole lot of people, we worked on commission. I found out there was a whole lot of people who were more interested in trying to get a big commission than taking care of the people that walked in. And they were in it, you know, so that people would walk in and they would want something and these people would always try to upsell, 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 upsell. My goal is that nobody would ever make a return because when they made a return, I could make a big sale, but if they were unhappy with their purchase, a lot of people would make returns and so you'd lose that commission on your next paycheck. And so I got to see that happen over and over again to, to some of my, as I'm doing all my training, I haven't even started sell, selling yet, and I'm starting to hear, oh, man, this person just made a, a, a return, and I lost all that money, and stuff like that. And so what I said was, I just want to take care of the people so that I don't ever have returns. And people were in it for themselves. People wanted to just try to get more and more money out of people and squeeze them for anything they could get. And what I found, I found a whole lot more success by just saying, you know, what is it that you want? I want to help you get it. Now, there were times that legitimately I upsold people because I thought that's what they would end up wanting. I had one guy that I thought that came in and I, I knew exactly what he wanted. I knew exactly what he needed. And it was a nice TV. I knew where it was going to go in his house. I asked him all the questions. I said, this is the TV you're going to want. And he said, I can afford that TV but I think I'm gonna go with the cheaper one. I said, I understand. And I sold him the cheaper one. He comes in a couple weeks later, he says, man, I can't handle this TV. What one you said. He comes in later and gives me a $50 gift card to Red Lobster and says, man, thanks so much. Because this TV is exactly what I want. I know I didn't trust you, but I trust you. This is exactly what I wanted. There are times that for me to serve him, that, that meant I was trying to point him to this thing. But there's a whole lot of people in our world that don't care about people. They just want to get higher. They want to get better. They want to climb the ladder. They want to make more money, whatever it is, for selfish means instead of just serving people and loving people. I don't know what that might look like in your life, but it happens especially in our work lives. The world would say, affirm yourself. Jesus says, die to yourself. The world's trying to say, you know what, just prove yourself. Just prove yourself. You know what? You have a chance to prove yourself. Now, here's what I don't want to say, what I don't want anybody to think. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to honor, shouldn't, shouldn't work hard or anything like that, because I believe that working hard, hard honors the Lord, but you shouldn't be doing it to try to prove yourself. You should be doing it because you're working as to the Lord. If you're trying to prove yourself, you're trying to prove yourself to someone. If you're working hard to honor God, then it doesn't matter because you're just serving him anyways. Now, other people, I think the reality is as Christians that other people will see our hard work, will see our good work, but God gets the glory in heaven. They'll see what we do and give God glory because we work hard. But we honor God, we humble ourselves, and then it's his job to lift us up. It's not our job to try to put ourselves in a certain position or anything like that. The world would say you are what you achieve, the kingdom says you are your character. You are your character. I think all of us would say, how many of you in this room, you know somebody that from a worldly perspective, they achieved a lot but lost themselves, lost respect of the people that mattered the most and succeeded in the things that don't matter? Anybody know somebody like that in this room? You know somebody like that? That achieved a lot from a worldly perspective but everything they gave up to get it wasn't worth it. It's not what you achieve. It's who you become in the process. It's who you and I become in the process. I don't want to succeed at the things that really don't matter. The world says rule and be served. 
The kingdom says serve in order to rule. It's not climbing a ladder. It's serving others. And by the way, uh, the term that he used in this book, he said serve in order to rule. I think that's probably a little different uh, way than I would say that. Because that has the context of, oh, I'm just going to set myself aside so that eventually I get to the top. That's not really the, the picture, and I know what he's saying because he explains it a little bit differently, but that's the phrase he uses. It's not serve in order to rule, like I'm going to put myself here because eventually I'm going to be at the top. It's just knowing that the first is the one who's going to serve. And so if I want to be, I'm not trying to be most important in the kingdom. I know that the most important thing in the kingdom is to serve people. And so it's not, it's not serve to rule, it's understanding what's most important. That for God to be my ruler, for him to be my kingdom authority, for me to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that's the way I have to live. The next one, the world would say walk by sight. Go and do whatever you see in front of you, just live based on that, right? Material possessions, all these things, kingdom perspective obviously would say walk by faith. I want to read to you what, what he says in this part. And it's a quote. He says, the man God uses, listen very carefully. He says, the man God uses is one who has absolute, unconditional trust, reliance, and faith in God. He lives with a clear, God-given sense of directions. He knows the ways of God in this world. His heart is set with an awareness of the awesome consequences of being sent by God. I'm going to read that again. His heart is set with the awareness of the awesome consequences of being sent by God. The presence of God is with him, expressing himself just as God promised. Therefore, the man God uses keeps his character with integrity, knowing that his life is a highway for God to work in every place God chooses to place him. His life is a highway for God to work. And if my life's going to be a highway and your life's going to be a highway, we have to make sure we keep our lives clear by living in integrity we have to move forward with faith and trusting the Lord. Can you imagine again, those people in Joshua chapter six, God's people thousands of years ago, the decision they had to make to walk around to look like idiots, right? We're gonna try to intimidate this people group by walking around the building or by walking around the city. It must've felt really silly. And I wonder how many times maybe for all of us that walking by faith might feel silly. And maybe some of us aren't willing to do it because just how it feels. Walk by faith. Last one on here. Prioritize happiness is what the world would say. But the kingdom says, seek first the kingdom of God because holiness is greater than happiness. Discipline is greater than happiness. Purpose is greater than happiness. Leaving a legacy is greater than happiness. God's glory is greater than happiness. Whether you're happy or not, you'll have joy and joy is greater than happiness. Now, here's the reality. A lot of times, I think we find happiness, but when we don't have happiness based on what's happening around us, we still have joy. I know a whole lot of people in the world right now that are suffering because of their faith in God. Most of us in this country aren't going to be suffering because of our faith in God. Just a reality. I know maybe in your workplace, you might experience some uh, levels of persecution. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, as uh, one of very few Christians among a whole lot of people that uh, were Mormon. Uh, and so I, I understand like certain levels of kind of persecution or being outcast as a, as a Christian, being set aside and things like that. But there are a whole lot of people in this world right now that are literally being killed for their faith. That, that's not a happiness moment. 
So how can they do it? You know, when you think about these people that were all taken, these little girls that were all taken by, by Muslim men, and there's one of them left, and she was the only Christian among the group, a 16-year-old girl who's been gone for three years. And the only reason they won't release her is because she refuses to, not, to deny her faith. She's the only one left. A teenager. There's not a whole lot of happiness there, right? But meaningfulness, purpose, fullness of your soul because it comes in Christ, not in what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says or what's happening around us, always is going to trump happiness. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to think of somebody you know that's, that's not a Christian. Maybe somebody in your circles, maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody that's a friend of yours that probably would be in a similar life stage to you, maybe in a similar situation to you where you might have to run kind of in the same areas. Like you're th- you might be thinking about uh, people that are, that are in, in, in your workplace or in your community, or maybe you've got kids and they're, you know, they've got kids the same age and they're getting to deal with the same things. Or maybe you have grown kids and they've got kids that are grown the same age, but you're kind of in the same stage of life. Somebody that's not a Christian, but maybe aligns with you in a lot of ways. And I want to ask a question. I'm going to ask you to think about for just a second. How is your life as a Christian different from theirs? How would they be able to identify and say they live differently, differently than me in this area and in this area and in this area and in this area? Not because you go to church, not because you come to a Bible study at 6.30 on, on Wednesday mornings, you come to church at 9.30 or 11 on Sundays or at 6 o'clock on Saturdays, not that. But in practical outworking, how is your life legitimately different than theirs? Hebrews chapter 11 talks about some people that followed God no matter what, the hall of faith, right? Verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 11 says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. And it kind of goes on to say they didn't get to see it while they were on this earth, but it says they died still believing what God had promised them. And then verse 16 says, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Remember the old movie, Wizard of Oz? I know that's probably not a common uh, movie to talk about in a men's Bible study, right? (laughs) But she clicks her heels together and she says what? There's no place like home. 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 Men, I want to remind you that this is not your home. You ever gone on a trip, slept in a different bed, and then you come back and you're like, oh, it's so nice to sleep in my own bed that longing for home. I think too often as Christians, we, not, not you, we. I think too often as, as Christians, we can begin to long for things here that have no right to be considered home for us. It's not part of what home looks like. It's not part of what home is designed to be. Because if we're gonna be kingdom men, we function under a kingdom mindset. Say, God, you are my Lord. Nothing that happens in this world is going to determine anything of what I do. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to surrender to you because you are my king, and I'm going to be an ambassador. Wherever I go, whatever I represent, I mean, I'm going to represent you wherever I go. No matter what they represent, I'm going to be your kingdom ambassador. When I go into my home, I'm going to be a kingdom ambassador in my family. 
When I go into my workplace, I'm going to be a kingdom ambassador in my, in, my, in my workplace. I might wear a name that has my company right here, but that does not trump in my heart and in my life the one who holds my heart. I'm surrendered. My life is surrendered now. I might get to do some things because I work at a certain company, but my life is surrendered to the kingship of Jesus, not to the lordship of my boss because he's over me and I might have to follow some of his instructions, but my lordship really is under the kingship of Jesus. And so because of that, I'm gonna function different and people in my workplace are gonna see that I function different. They're gonna know that I function different. How is our life different from other people in your family life, in your work life, in your church life? Man, we should be the ones serving. We have to be the ones serving in this place. Mark talked about it last week, being committed to say, no matter what, I'm gonna be here. I talked to a man in this room that, and I got to hear his story again, and I got to hear added portions of the story just recently where he talked about how he'd go hunting. And he said there was men that would leave early from a hunting trip so they had to so come back for church every Sunday. You know, there were people that would come in early and not go out for the late night hunt because they were preparing a Bible study to lead and they would leave early and they would make sure whether they left on Saturday night or Sunday morning, they were committed to be here. And he talked about how much it changed his life. A man that's in this room right now talked about how much those kinds of things changed his life because men live differently and we got to live different in our home life, in our work life, in our family life, wherever we go in our community life here and around the world. And we got to be taking the gospel around the world. We got to be ambassadors in every setting. I love again, this statement, that the man God uses keeps his character with integrity, knowing that his life is a highway to, for God to work in every place God chooses to place him. The last thing that you're going to fill in, the last section, Christian men must be kingdom citizens and function by kingdom ways. Kingdom ways do not look like the world's ways. It says Jesus guided ordinary men such as fishermen, tax collectors, and students to live by God's ways. And the next part, as his servants in their world, his servants in their world. They were still living in their world, but they were living as his servants. God worked through them to turn the Roman Empire upside down. Think about the greatest empires in all the world. The Roman Empire was one of them. And God used these men to turn the world upside down. Multitudes entered the kingdom of God because of their faithful witness. And here's the part I want us all to leave with. God has always done this. He's always done this. This is his way. And the last thing is he could do it through your life too. And I'd even take out the word your and I'd write the word my. Personalize it. God has always done this. He turned the world upside down through a group of men. You look through all of history, biblical history and extra biblical history, all of history, God has always done this. It's the way he works.
And he can do it through you. He can do it through us. Always. It's his way. But the only way it happens, the man God uses, is if we live and function as kingdom citizens in this world. Looking ahead to what's to come. Knowing we might not get to see everything we want to see on this earth, but we're looking ahead to a greater reality because there's no place like home and this is not it. And so we're going to live in light of that. That God has something ahead for us. This is his way. And he can do it through us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible opportunity it is for us as men in this place to be sons of the Most High God, to be sons of the King. God, may we be ambassadors in every aspect of, lives, of our lives. May we be kingdom citizens every single place we go. And God, we pray that people would see a difference in us, not so that they look at us and see how different we are, but so they would look at us, see how different we are, and ultimately that they would turn toward you because of it. God, may none of this that we're discussing today be about our glory because it's not about lifting us up, it's about lifting you up. God, we thank you that you've created us, but your handiwork to do good works. But God, may we shine your light for all to see so that they would see who we are and give you much glory in every area, wherever we go. God, in any area that you want to show us that we're not aligning with your kingdom, God, I pray over these next few minutes as we have discussion, I pray that you would reveal some of those things in our lives that we need to lay down, some ways that we need to surrender to your kingship. God, show us some of those areas that we're living, whether it's in our work life or our home life or our personal life that nobody else sees except for you, that we are not surrendered in our heart, our mind, our soul, or our body to you. And God, as you reveal those things, I pray that we would surrender those things to you. That we would encourage one another, that these men around the tables would encourage one another. That we'd hold each other accountable to living as kingdom citizens so that our lives are a highway for your work wherever you place us. In Jesus' name, amen.